Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight they know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm this simple phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to
simple phrase to kids from one to Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to Have a cup of cheer Have a holly 
jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Ho, ho, the mistletoe Hung where you can see Somebody waits for you Kiss her once for me Have a holly jolly Christmas And in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year Have a holly jolly Christmas It's the best time of the year Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Somebody waits for you Yes, sir, once for me Have a holly jolly Christmas And in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas This year Christmas carols fills my heart with so much hope. Um, welcome to the Foundry. We're so happy that you are here with us. Um, you may see that Liza is about to light the very first candle of our Advent wreath, which is a tradition that kicks off um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, a season we call Advent. I don't know if you have any kids in your life, maybe your own or younger siblings or nieces, nephews, grandkids, but if they're anything like mine, they have asked you 
dozens of times already, how many days until Christmas? How many days until Christmas? How many days? I'm like, I've told you this an hour ago. How did you forget? My kids have taken to checking me against Google because they don't trust my mental math. Um, but in 1839, a German pastor named Johann Heinrich Wickern found himself fielding that exact same question. How many more days until Christmas? How many more days until Christmas? Um, Wickern was a pastor uh, and actually a pioneer of urban missions in the city of Hamburg, a port city that's not unlike Baltimore. Um, and he would take street children from the snow-covered streets of his city around the harbor and he would bring them into his home. And it turns out even the most impoverished children have the same question as our kids. How many more days until Christmas? How many more days until Christmas? So what he did was he took the wheel of a cart and he set around it 28 candles. And each day in the four weeks leading up to Christmas, he would light one candle. And that tradition spread around Germany and over time, it simplified to just four candles, one for each Sunday of Advent, and each had an accompanying theme, hope, peace, joy, and love. And then immigrants brought, like they did all good things to the States, brought with them this tradition, and that's why today we light the first candle for this Hope Sunday. And it was such a picture of hope. If you think about those German orphans and their house getting a little bit brighter each day as they are looking forward with anticipation to this day that they're hoping for. And that's something that's so true of kids. They're amazing at anticipation. They're masters of hope. They're not very good at patience, but they're amazing at hope. But we as adults, on the other hand, sometimes can find that hope can be costly, um, especially hope deferred. We teach ourselves to um, protect ourselves from disappointment by learning not to hope too much, by tempering our hopes. And we're going to read a passage a little bit later this morning of a people, um, from the passage of Isaiah, of people who are in that same spot, wrestling with trying to keep hope alive in the midst of hopelessness. Um, we, here on the other side of history, have the benefit of being able to sing today of the hope of all the earth, that the long-expected Jesus has come, that he's made his advent here. Um, and we invite you to do that very thing. But as we do that, in fact, stand with us, because we're going to sing some Christmas carols about a thrill of hope that makes our weary hearts rejoice, and Jesus, the hope of all the earth. But even as we do that, we're also going to confess that we struggle to keep hope alive, too. We have unmet longings for things to be made right. And so we're going to center ourselves around the one who has come once and has promised to come again. So would you sing with us this morning? Free. 
that's a promise that he's with us. He hasn't left us alone as orphans. He sent his, his spirit, and he's with us in this room, and it, he inhabits the praises of his people, the Bible says. You can have a seat. Um, if you are new or newish to um, the Foundry, we just always want to point you to something that we call the connection page. And if you're looking for ways to connect, it's very handily named, um, especially in ways that are outside of our gatherings here on Sunday morning. The connection page has just a bunch of on-ramps. If you have questions, if you want uh, to send in prayer requests and have people walk with you in prayer, um, uh, go to that connection page. Uh, there's lots there for you. That passage of scripture um, that I alluded to earlier about a people who are struggling um, in just very, very dark and hopeless uh, circumstances, to, they're struggling to cling to hope. I'm going to read that now from uh, Isaiah 63, starting in verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. But you are our father, though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. Why, Lord, do you make us wander from your way and harden our hearts so that we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. For a little while your people possessed your holy place, but now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. We are yours from of old, but you have not ruled over them. They have not been called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Well, it, uh, it took 10 years of the Foundry's existence to inadvertently name a Christmas series the same title as a Hallmark movie. But it happened. It happened. I assure you, it was completely incidental, though we believe a Christmas to remember with Mira Sorvino may, in fact, be a treasure. I, I don't know. But, uh, but I do think it speaks to attention um, of, of this season, right? When we talk about the word Advent, 
um, what a lot of us will maybe think through is just sort of a prolonged season of Christmas, say 30 days of Christmas movies and Christmas fun and sentimentality or uh, a, a calendar that's got Lego figures or it, the one that we home, at home right now has jams in it. It's wonderful. I've never looked woke up in the morning looking forward to jam as much as I have recently, two days into Advent. Um, you know, like, and it's one way to think about this season. It's just sort of a prolonged 30 days of just Christmassy fun. But, but the tradition of Advent actually calls us to a different thing. The tradition of Advent calls us to maybe more of a time of arrival or preparation for the arrival, to, to celebrate, as, as Fleming Rutledge once said, the, the once and future coming of Jesus, and to live in the gap between, uh, hey, on this block and on this street, we can celebrate that, that their hope and joy and peace and love have been found in Jesus, but, but we're living in that gap between the fruition of those things that we might read about in the book of Revelation. That, that, so in the in-between, we live in a time of waiting where we have to actively prepare and stoke and point our hearts towards hope, just as a candle needs to be uh, pr sometimes protected from the elements, sort of to keep itself ignited. How do we keep the candle of hope ignited in the context of the cold and, and, and the elements of, that are happening around us? So, so you will spend in your life 27 days waiting, statistically speaking. I actually am surprised it's that short. <laughs> Doesn't it feel longer than that? Like 27 days of your life, you will spend it waiting. Waiting in traffic, waiting on hold, waiting for someone whose call is very important to us, you know, to, to acknowledge that your call is in fact very important. Uh, you will spend 27 days of your life in that process, uh, which means I think you will probably meet yourself very honestly and, and soberly uh, 27 days. So you'll know yourself really well because, because often... When you don't get the answer that you want, we meet you, <laughs> right? We meet you when you hear the word, not yet. You meet you when you hear the answer, no, to something that you're longing for, when you don't know the outcome of a, of a particular thing. And you and I are not alone in this. This is a collective human struggle. And, and, and to be fair and to be clear, like this goes so much deeper than, oh boy, the traffic was a real bear today. Oh boy, it was really hard to sit on hold for an hour. It, we're really talking about stuff like, hey, some of us are waiting to get pregnant. Some of us are waiting for a, a relationship that was fractured to be mended. Some of us are waiting to see the picture of justice that we read about in a book like Isaiah, we talked about a couple weeks ago, come to bear in situations that feel really unjust. This is, this is so much more than you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas or, or you had to wait an hour or two to, to get the thing that you wanted. There's a very real tension in this season where we acknowledge that, that hope and joy and peace and love have arrived in the person and work of Jesus, but that we live in what theologians will call an already but not yet tension. These things have arrived in our midst, but are working towards their culmination. And as we kind of keep our hearts set on those things, how do we live in the tension between? How do we live with hope and joy and peace and love in a world that doesn't look like a Hallmark movie? 
in a world that looks like the one that we have. This points us to this idea that while waiting is a universal human reality, none of us can escape it, it's part of the essence of what it means to be human, waiting on God is an intentional choice. And so that's the journey of Advent, to make a, a seasonal, intentional choice to stoke hope and peace and joy and love in the context of the lives we actually have. Okay? So if you want to follow along, we're going to have four weeks of Advent. Uh, and we'll, but, but in the middle of the week, we've got a devotional you can follow along with as well if that's of interest to you. If you go to that Connect page and you click Sermon Notes, you'll find access to it. It's not one that we've put together, but it's one that I really have enjoyed interacting with so far in the context of the lives we actually have. How do we make these things like hope come alive and be real? And what does that actually look like? Well, I would argue that it looks a lot like the communal lament that Katie just read for us here in Isaiah 63 and into chapter 64. That what you have in this passage that actually kind of sounds quite hopeless <laughs> is, is the picture of what it means to, to stoke hope in us and to choose to wait with hope even as we experience the things that feel hopeless. So let's talk about this for a few minutes in our time together today. We're going to look at this 64th chapter um, in particular because I think it, it, it just, again, it helps us as we, as we move up into the weeks where we talk about like the arrival of Jesus, you know, but the, the context, the context with which this arrival of Jesus meets us. And it points us to first acknowledge the reality around us. That the, the essence of the arrival of Jesus is a context that feels anything but hopeful. It's a moment that begins in Isaiah 64 and verses 1 and 2 in this, this lament that we've read. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. This, this, this lament takes place in the context of a larger conversation in the book of Isaiah about walking through this place of healing uh, after a time of captivity, after a time of, of, of being trapped, after a time of feeling the sting of not following the promises of God and what it yielded to the people of Israel. And so this, this envisions a time when, when a person may be walking the streets of this land after a time of captivity and looking around and taking in the desolation taking in the reality of what's been experienced over the course of this time and going, oh, would you, would you, just, would you open the sky and would you fix this? There, there's certainly a moment in your life where that, 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 that comes to mind, right? Like something you can envision around you that feels very much like that today. There's this, there's this line, it's, it's one, of the, one of the lines that precedes one of the more famous lines in the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where the comedy of errors has reached this boiling point and, and Ellen Griswold is ready to send all everybody home. And she says to her husband Clark, I just think it's, it's important that we go home before it gets any, everyone goes home before it gets any worse. And, and maybe if you've seen the movie, you will recall what he says. He says, worse? How could it get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell. I believe it to be a false equivalency to say that a comedy of slapstick errors and 
things that happen in the plot twists of that movie are an apples-to-apples comparison to the things you may be experiencing in your life today. And the things you may look around you and just feel in the world. But, but, but the acknowledgement that things are not as they are to be. You know, that, that's his point, right? Going home, everybody going home won't, won't, won't undo the fact that we've experienced something really hard and heavy. So let's acknowledge it and for what it is and let's call it out and let's bring it into the light. And this is what the lament does. That there are moments that you're going to feel, like to, to really have hope, you will know hopelessness. You will have the moments where, where you look around you and you go, I don't even know where to start. You'll have moments in your own heart where it's like everybody else looks like they have it all together, but I'm not okay. And, and, and we, have to, we have to, if we're really going to embrace this picture of hope, acknowledge the reality around us. Right? Because one of the false equivalencies, I think, of Advent hope is this, this, this meme that you've seen before. Um, you know, the, where, where everything is just on fire and everything's burning, but the little doggy with his cup of coffee, it's fine. It's fine. Right? Hope, hope is not denial of realities. Right? It's, it's an acknowledgement that there's something that can be in place to, to bring these things to fruition, something that can bear the weight of solving the problem, but it doesn't minimize the problem. And so hope very much acknowledges the hopelessness and the despair around us. It says, hey, open up the skies and show up in this marriage, because I'm not sure it's going to keep going if, if you don't. Open up the skies and deal with this with this thing that's in my heart that I don't, I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to move on. I don't know how to, to, to see another, another possibility. I, I don't know how to fix this family situation that feels really intense. I don't know how to deal with the reality of, of downsizing or, 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 or just feeling really confused about my job. I don't know how to fix Ukraine. I don't know what the answer is to, uh, to Gaza, and, and I don't know that, I, I, all I know is that everyone screaming really loud about it is like making me want to curl up into the fetal position and just collapse because I don't know what to do. Open up the skies and come down. Make your name known. This is the Advent cry for hope. The acknowledgement that things are not as they should be. It's a whole mood. It's a whole mood. Meet us in this cancer. Meet us in this dementia. Meet us in this uncertainty for, for how to go forward. But as we do that, acknowledging the pictures of God that have formed us in the past. So, so the psalm, or the, let's say the, 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 the lament, rather, it moves to this time, and so the, the, the previous section in chapter 63 all has this language of, uh, of Israel's history. Right, of the Jewish history of times where God has shown up and provided. And, and with a fresh perspective, the, the lament calls upon God to, to come back and, and show, show himself in the same manner. Right, Verses 3 and 4. When, we, when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, the mountain trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Right? So you have in the previous chapter like a call back to the time of Abraham. Here you have a call to the time of Moses and Sinai. 
right, where God breaks through the uncertainty and the chaos of wandering through the desert and, and provides and manifests in some visible way that they can cling to. Right, if you've ever sung the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, you know, which we, we love that one around here, right? Like, you know, there's this, here I raise my Ebenezer. It's the line everyone's like, what? Huh? And, and, and those are, there's, there's a lot of things in, in Jewish history that are chock full of pointing to times in the past from a place of muscle memory where God has worked and moved so that in the current circumstance, if you don't feel like God's working and moving much, we have something to draw back on. And there's something in that for us here, I think, as we wrestle with hope. I think there, for some of us here, there is the call to, if we've been walking with God for some years, um, we've seen some advents, and we've seen some years that, that where God provided in some unique ways, and, and here where we may feel that tension right now of God not providing, God not doing a particular thing that we want, um, we can call back on as an act of worship those moments in the past, right? That's, that's one of the things the, the lament reminds us of. If we're, if we're struggling to have hope right now, to, to think back on times where God has shown up in our story or shown up in the life of someone that we care about, right? This is, this is one of those things that even churches can draw on together, that there are moments where God uh, provides in unique ways when trailers get stolen, when roofs need paid for, and we can, we can come back to God has provided for us in the past and how will God provide for us in the future? But it also calls us to maybe in, in our wrestling in this moment to, to challenge the pictures of God that we're wrestling with, right? Because some of us can very well call upon those things, but for others of us, we're struggling to believe that God would actually meet us in the midst, that God actually would walk with us through the dark night of the soul. And, and I, was, I was recently having a conversation with a friend who was expressing a lot of their disdain for Christianity and Jesus and articulating all kinds of objections. And the thing I could hear in the conversation really wasn't an intellectual objection to the things that have shown up in the scriptures. It was the absorption of a childhood experience that was deeply painful. That's being projected onto every, every page of Isaiah and every page of Jeremiah and every page of the book of Luke where, where you might not look at that through a place of harm. But they're struggling not to. And I think it's, 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 it's incumbent on us to, to not just call upon that history of God's favor and God showing up and God providing but also with a fresh perspective, how is my picture of hope being challenged in this season? The childhood picture I've absorbed about the character and nature of God, how might it meet me with a fresh perspective this year as I go through this Advent journey? And to do that through the lens of, of not just paying attention to what's happening around us, not just paying attention to the thing that's, that's happening in our brain, this, this, this childhood picture that we're wrestling with about who God is and if God's for us and if God likes us, but also paying attention in real life and in real time to the state of our heart, to acknowledge the state of things in us as well, to reject the idea of uh, what, what Rutledge will call the myth of human progress the deception of human progress right that 
we may get more advanced, we may get more technologically savvy, we may know more things about the human brain and body and global issues around the world, but we'll also find new ways to exploit each other with those technologies. We'll find new ways to, uh, you know, to, to, to bring harm to others or inadvertently harm others because of just what it means to be human, right? Has it ever happened that you tried to do the right thing in a situation and it just didn't go like you scripted? Didn't go the way you wanted it to go? That, that's part of what we're talking about here. Is, is, yeah, if you had the full deck and you were omniscient and you knew it all, you would, you would maybe do it a particular way. But you didn't have that information, so you tried. And it landed like a lead balloon, right? That's part of what we're talking about here. As well as the part that maybe has all the right information and chooses to just do whatever the heck you wanted to do anyway. Right? That part of you, that part of you that... Uh, is not, is not the, the, the you know, when, the, the, the way that you might try to justify yourself. Well, I'm not as bad as this thing, and it could have been this thing, and it could have been this thing, but that, 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 that propensity towards human sin that exists in you as well, right? The, the scriptures are calling us here to the acknowledgement that there's none of us who are immune to, to the dual nature of a problem, that, that we are, that sometimes in the world we live in, because other people are sinful, we can try to do something charitable and good, and it, and it doesn't land. And then other times, we can be the one that perpetrates an offense against someone else, whether we were intending to or not intending to, or sometimes, if we're honest, checking our motives, we were very well intending to. The, the, the comparison that's drawn here is there's not one of us that's immune to what it means to be human here. Um, you know, he says, hey, you know, you call upon those who are righteous, you walk with those who are righteous, but there's not one of us who are like that. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. You, you've maybe, if you've heard this passage explained before, know that there's, there's, there's an allusion here to the idea of menstrual garments, right? The idea of even, like, just humanity happening, even with cleansing, even with washing, there's stains, there's remnant. Like, this just, it, it's, it, it's part of what it means to be human. So, so we can't live in this idealized picture of ourselves. We have to have ourselves a sober view of, of our own humanity, our own frailty, our own capacity to do harm or to take hope from other people based on how we live our life. And then when we walk into a neighborhood pub and we look around and everyone seems like a blaze with happiness and cheer and hope, there's a very thin veneer there between that and the reality. <laughs> that when you walk into a pub today, there are relationships falling apart. That there's someone drinking alone to medicate and to escape. That there's someone who's, who's, who's sitting there trying to hold it together with family or friends and it it's it's not it's not going it's not going as well as the smile is putting on advent doesn't pretend that that's not our reality it embraces it it calls us to that 
and it says, hey, let's have a sober view of ourselves, and let's have a sober view of one another, because it's there that we can begin to move past the idea that we ourselves are the Messiah, or that we ourselves are the one who can actually bring hope and an ultimate cure to this hopelessness, right? If we've been impacted by human sin, then we need one who is sinless to bring rest, restoration. It calls us to, um, to letting God form hope in us, allowing ourselves to be formed, right? So we look around us. So this is like the bad news, right? Like we look around us and it's, it's terrible. We look in us. It's pretty rough. We, we think about their childhood pictures of God and things we've heard from, from, from story books. And like sometimes we're on board with it and sometimes it really feels like a mess to us. So what do we continue to do? And here's where the lament takes a bit of a turn. It takes a turn to this acknowledgement that you, O oh Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. I want to highlight two, two things. I want to begin with the, the idea of two pictures of dependence, right? There is the picture of dependence that is the father-child relationship, which certainly at some point, whether you are a father or not, um, you may relate to an adult or an authority figure or a father figure of some kind calling a direction out to you. Here's the place we're going. Here's the thing you're going to do. And it was that moment of time, you were probably a teenager, where rather than say, boy, father figure, you are espousing such wisdom and truth right now. I will gladly follow you into the dark. Um, you looked at them with some level of teen angst or disdain and were like, you're an idiot. You know, like you just did, you know, like that, like you understand that tension pretty well, right? The, the, the process of trying to trust whether or not the, the authority figure in your life has your best intentions in mind. As a, if you are a parent, you feel it very acutely through getting that same version of that look that you gave to those authority figures in your life at some point in time. There's a visual here of the process of trusting in God's picture of hope. Trying to assume the best intentions in the midst of the, the nonsense and hurt around us. But then also, um, if, we, if we struggle with this father-child analogy, there's another one here, which is the potter-clay analogy. That the, the shaping towards a picture of beauty, the shaping towards this presentation, happens in the context of raw material, forging with intent, a master artist who, who's got the, the picture of where he's going in mind, but, but, but one who is being shaped, one who is being forged, there's friction in that. And so we don't want to think about hope through the lens of a world where there, there's, there's no friction, there's no tension, there's no wondering, can this father be trusted it acknowledges, I think, ultimately, that that's what we're trying to do when we come into a place like this or go through a season of time where we're saying, okay, God, is your picture of hope trustworthy? And how is it shaping me and molding me in the contexts and the abrasions of the world I live in right now? 
in the context and uncertainties that I'm facing, when I don't know the outcome of those relationships, when I don't know the outcome of, 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 of a pregnancy, when I don't know the outcome of what to do next in relationship with someone I'm caring for, how do I trust with a long obedience in your direction? It's a function of struggle. I, I like the way Barbara Brown Taylor says it, that whether it's a seed in the ground or a baby in the womb or Jesus in the tomb, hope starts in the dark. It starts in a place where you do not know the outcome, but you're working to trust the one who is casting the vision. And I think that's an essence, right, of what, so much of what we're, we're asking in this season. Can God be trusted with our story. You know, when, when you are told no, when you are told not yet, you will often meet your functional saviors. Right? You will meet the illusion of control. You will meet your inability to, to, to wave a wand and make everybody around you happy. You, you just will. And, and so in this season... We're not, just, we're not just sipping the sentimentality and the Christmas cheer. We're asking ourselves, can God be trusted with the weight that we feel? Can God be trusted with the parts of my story that feel exposed? Can God be trusted with the dark night of the soul? Can God be trusted with the reframing that I, I need to do to relationships around me. So, so Advent ultimately uh, is a function of struggle. And then this is where the, the lament lands. It ends in a place where we're pushed to keep going. Sometimes when you read a lament in the Bible, it, it ends in a place where it's like, God, thanks so much for letting me talk to you. This is really good. Glad we got that out there. You can read laments like that, where it, it, like, it says some pretty jarring things, and it ends like, a contemporary Christian music worship song. <laughs> Not this one. This one doesn't. Listen to the feel-good ending, just in case you missed it. It's been a bit. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? It doesn't look good. And it doesn't feel good. And there's not a solution right now. We could jump to 65 and 66 and answer the theological question that's being asked. But that's not the point, is it? The point in this is to be able to say, this is not good. I don't love this. And I'm asking you to show up. Right, there's so many things in your life that you, you, you would fool yourself into thinking, well, if I just had the clear answer, right? If I just had the right answer. Like, sometimes... We have to begin with, like, yeah, the answer to the theological quandaries about human suffering and sin. Okay, there are some answers. We can have some pontification. But what Advent calls us to do is just admit it where it is. And on some level, we're trying to keep going. 
like the, the question here is like, look at all of this. Like, how, how do we even begin to make sense of this? And it's the answer, of course, is coming. But we have to acknowledge the state of things and where they are so that we may keep going. And this is where I want to just call us to conclusion. I want to call us to say that, like, on some level, the idea of hope and stoking hope and, like, lighting the candle of hope is a, is a call for, for you to keep going. If things were really great this week, they may really not be great next week. So keep going when the circumstances waft and wane. And if things feel pretty terrible and abysmal and that there's no pathway forward, keep going. Because there is one who is coming that's going to make these things right. But we're going to miss this hope or only experience it as platitude if we can't be honest about where we really are. Which is why Fleming Rutledge says this, and this will be our transition to communion, that the authentically hopeful Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but right at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. What this season is selling us is not a a Christmas card hallmark picture where everything gets resolved in 90 minutes with a warm cup of cocoa. But that hope will meet us in the midst, will meet us in death, will conquer that death and walk us to the restoration of all things. And so we move to a time of communion, not as platitude or sentimentality, but, but to remind us that hope is meeting us in the midst of the hopelessness that we may feel. That we can bring this hopelessness to, to, the, to the cross of Christ, to the, the empty tomb, to the darkness that we may face today. That this bread and this cup give us the ability to stare death in the face, not in a way that's cheap and false, and to let it meet us in the midst of our story. So I'll quote Ronald Rollheiser here as an invitation to communion and what do we do during this time. And then I'll pray and we can move to the Lord's table. Rollheiser writes, We're all wounded. Take those wounds to the Lord's table. Bring your helplessness and your paralysis to God. Ask God to touch your body your heart, your memory, your bitterness, your lack of self-confidence, your self-absorption, your weakness. Bring your aching body and heart to God. Express your helplessness in simple and humble words. Touch me. Take my wounds. Take my paranoia. Make me whole. Give me forgiveness. Warm my heart. Give me the strength that I cannot give myself. Let's pray together. God, as we come to the table, there is a profound and beautiful invitation to bring those things. Help us to acknowledge the places that feel hopeless, 
by inviting your hope into them. God, may this be a precious time to reset and to reframe and to walk in your picture of hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. worshiping in song this morning, so we invite you to stand and sing with us if you're able.
Here 
Grab a seat real quick before we, we roll out today. Um, it's a weird thing to work in the nonprofit space and still roll my eyes at Giving Tuesday. Is, is that a tension anyone else feels? <laughs> Just maybe I'm the only one. Uh, and, 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 here's, and here's what it is, right? Because it is a reminder uh, of two things. Uh, one's tough, but one I think speaks to the picture of hope. One, that just the amount of need around us is a it's huge, it's vast, it's overwhelming. But the capacity for people like yourself to contribute 
to the hope that is being stoked around us is a really important thing to consider and keep in our hearts. And, and so, it, and it was even good as the week went on to sort of frame in and perspective. Um, we're able to do the things that we do, as many organizations are able to do the things they do, because of the generosity of people like yourself. And so when we invite you to give and we invite you to participate in that through our community, just in a really tangible way, we take this litany of things that's wrong and messed up with the world, and we remember that God can do a lot with our little, <laughs> right? And so if you want to participate in that manner with us this morning, you can go to foundrybaltimore.com connect or give. Um, or give here in the room if you want to be part of what God is doing in that particular way. But I'll, I'll swing back one other direction as we, as we close as well. I, I, you know, as we wait in this tension between, uh, we don't just wait with despair until Christmas. <laughs> and uh, we have an opportunity in these weeks to come to be just a tangible picture of hope to people. We've mentioned a lot the Christmas store from the donation of toys um, and helping outfit those, you know, the needs as, as parents and caregivers are the hero of Christmas for their families. But one of the things I would point you to that particular week, um, there'll be a litany of opportunities uh, to help make the Christmas store a reality, just with the, the spirit of your own volunteering. And so that's, that's a really powerful day. I know for those that work in the store, it's really encouraging, it's really hopeful. Um, so I would encourage you to sign up, but I would also just encourage you, if you know a friend or have someone that's looking for a place to serve, it's really not, a, it's not, there's no bait and switch, there's no, it really is just a day to like, hey, come help us out and come make something happen in a really uh, grassroots kind of way. Uh, encourage them to sign up as well. Um, last but not least, our Christmas Eve gatherings that are, are coming up December 24th, which is a Sunday. Uh, we'll do evening gatherings that day at 5 and 6.30 p.m., right? Keeping the, the candlelight vibe alive and well, even on Sunday. So um, just, just keeping that in mind, we'll, we'll collaborate. We've got another church in, in nearby that's if you're looking for a morning service, we'll point you to. But uh, 5 and 6.30 will be the culmination of, of that and uh, of our Advent season. And uh, just, again, put this out there. Yes, Facebook ads play value, and yes, Instagram shares, do something, but, but there's just power in your invite to someone that is looking to wrestle well with hope amidst the hopelessness, that whether it's Christmas Eve or Christmas store or one of the Sundays in our series, that will bear a lot of weight, uh, much more weight than any kind of curated marketing our church can do. So would you be that picture of hope? To, to people around you, even as you wrestle among, with it yourself. Um, let's close in prayer and, uh, and be on to our days. God, the situations may, that may exist outside of this walls, uh, these walls, we, <laughs> oh, they may be tough. Oh, they may be difficult, um, unresolved. They may not go as well as they went last week. We don't know how to fix them all. God, as we have thought about this picture of hope you give us today, would you help us to move past a place of denial? And would you help us to move past a place of despair? And as all of these things were written from a collective perspective, 
uh, may we be a community that spurs one another on in that manner as well. Until we meet again, in the name of Jesus, amen. See ya. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. While field and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders and wonders